welcome to the 29th episode of All of the Above, a weekly podcast about design, code, and learning. Uh, we are recording on June 17th, 2015. My name is Sean Duran, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Batner. Hello. And to replace Brian, because he lost his voice, uh, it is the wonderful Joe Darnell. Hi, guys. Here I am. Hello. You sound so much better than Brian. <laughs> well, I, I'm humbled and honored. Uh, Brian's a pretty special, he has a very special voice. I'm sorry, Brian. It feels a very special part of my ears when I listen to the podcast. So uh, for the people that don't know you, and yes. even for the people that do, that want to learn more about you. There's many of both camps. Yes. Now is your time. What should I tell them? I mean, it's up to you. We talked for about 40, 50 minutes before this even started. So, Well, I'm Joe Darnell, and I consider myself an all the above I listen to the show. <laughs> I, I find the topics pretty cool. And the reason being is probably because I'm a little bit geeky than I need to be. I have three podcasts of my own. I talk about movies on one, coffee on another, technology on the last, in that order, and we have blast on those other shows. I've been writing on the internet, just uh, trying to figure things out. And uh, I'm a graphic designer by day. So I enjoy the internet as well as anyone else. I've got RSS feeds because that's the kind of geek I am. And you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> My uh, username there is underscore Joe Darnell. So find me there. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about all of the above because it's awesome. Oh, geez. Thank you. And that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say all of the above her. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I like it, all of the above her. It sounds pretty catchy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking, uh, what was my idea? The upper echelon. Uh, you would be a part of that community of people like, oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. I'm okay. The so upper echelon of people. <laughs> if you're a listener, you're the, the all of the above And if you wind up graduating onto the show, you're in the, uh, the, the above echelon. Uh, the upper, the echelon. upper echelon. Okay. Yeah, I guess above echelon, but I feel like the upper it has that egalitarian. It works for me. I'm all about the egalitarianism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a it's a nice point to go off. We are talking about community. Yeah, and why is Brian not with us? So that lovely voice of his it uh, it went away. He uh. just doesn't have it. And he said that it hurts to do anything with his throat. So, hmm. Was he at WWDC talking too much a few weeks ago? <laughs> he just now took effect? Yeah, that, and I think it, it was a concert that he went to. and he That makes more sense. He likes to scream, apparently, yell and dance. I haven't seen him at a concert, but... Yeah, Brian is a dancer at concerts, and he does like to sing. He's kind of a different beast whenever you go to a concert with him. It's quite fun to see him <laughs> in his element. But yeah, so community. This is, uh, this is the episode on it. And uh, Brian actually has a whole section that he wrote, mm -hmm. but he's not here. So instead of doing it for him, we'll just post it on our website. Okay. Uh, for this episode, it'll be all of the above dot audio slash episodes slash 29. So if you go there, you can see what he wrote about, and then he could probably explain uh, things a little bit more. But we're going to turn it around and we'll actually uh, just have Joe sort of sub in. Sure. 
Yeah. I am so honored. This is so fun. I kick off the discussion. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Sean. Now that I got the microphone. Yeah. You're a a guest on our show and (laughs) we're making you go first. I feel the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wrote some notes on my tab here in the outline. I I wasn't sure what to expect. Your lovely outline in uh, iCloud numbers on the internet. So special. It's a very special place. It is a special place. Yeah. And what I was looking at was that I liked Brian's notes and I liked mine. So I'm going to use a mashup of these two. I All thought right. for, for starters, we just kind of point out how nebulous community actually is. We all have this idea of what it is. For me, it's just people sorting out their problems together and sharing what they've learned with each other. You know, that this could take many forms in different eras, different, you know, parts of the world with different mm-hmm. languages and different class warfares and different kind of educational systems, whatever. And, you know, what you do, though, in any kind of community is you give your time and your energy to your neighbors. You know, if you are not willing to generously give of yourself, there's nothing for anybody to take. And, you know, not, not everybody's willing to buy everything. Um, you know, a lot of things wind up to be free. But as my father-in-law always reminds me, nothing in life is actually free. Somebody is paying for it with their time, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And this, this is a central mark of community that you have commerce, you have people buying things, you have the exchange of goods, but community is more than that because you're exchanging communication. You're choosing who you're going to make your friends. You're choosing who you're going to mentor, who you're going to pass your legacy onto. And so community is this idea of cultivating the very idea of community. You're sharing your ideas with others and you hope that they turn around and share it with others and you can perpetuate this, the system. I think this is where a lot of people would like to like make their, their dent on the universe, as they say, I guess it was Steve jobs that said something like that. And he probably stole it from somebody else. Again, he got the idea through the grapevine through the community. Yeah. Leaving some kind of legacy. Yeah. Like, if you're going to leave a legacy, the only way that it is registered, that it makes a blip on the radar, is with community itself, the existence of the community and the community choosing to perpetuate that dent on the universe. So with that in mind, now I move over to what Brian wanted us to discuss <laughs> first about what is community and the, the section, the special section, the Joe section. The Joe Usually section. <laughs> it's the Brian uh, learning section. Uh, so what we have here is in what way do you feel a sense of community or going through the process of building your community has impacted your education? And I think this is a pretty cool question because I don't know about you guys, but I'm a weird homeschooler graduate. I, I'm 30 today, but still consider myself among the homeschool alumni. Happy and birthday. Like, did you turn 30 today or like... Today, you happen to be 30. Today, I happen to be 30. That's one of the many days of the year I'm 30. Well, happy birthday anyway, since we missed it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So I feel like the, the, the way that community has impacted my life was pretty special because I was more aware of the presence and absence of community than I think your average uh, kid was growing up through the first through 11th grade. 
I realized my parents, they wanted to be teachers in, in a school. And then when it got to the time that uh, they were going to see my, my education start, they actually wanted to teach me at home, which I thought was wonderful because I'd get to spend more time with mom and dad. But then I saw all these other kids having fun in school that I was missing out on. And I thought that I would really miss it. But as time went on, I, you know, our family actually sought opportunities to get me involved in uh, community roles, you know, so there was chess camp, there was homeschool baseball, we would have special groups gather together for, uh, you know, going over to the roller rink, you know, there was church, there were, uh, you know, we had family, uh, extended family clans, we'd get together with the family clan, and we'd go to the beach, we'd always wind up, you know, engaging with the community as well as anyone else. But there was a very different sort of experience learning where my parents were, my teachers, and uh -huh. the community was very close to home. It was in the home. It was. It had its ups and downs. It was a very small community when it's all said and done. And if anything, the the greatest impact of learning by way of the people around me happened in high school and beyond because you know I, I took classes for the the subject matters my parents didn't feel confident in teaching you know the the more sophisticated grammar and you know sciences and mathematics and that was pretty cool because I got to take classes with other homeschoolers from volunteer uh, you know uh, men that and women that had taught in interesting universities one of our teachers was actually uh, an employee at NASA for many years and a scientist there and for many years, uh, he did interesting work at NASA. He wound up giving us, speaking of community, and one of the side benefits of community, he actually gave to us the computers that NASA didn't want anymore. He, he handed them down to his students. <laughs> and so I had, a, I had a late, I think it was Toshiba with uh, Windows 3.1. I got that around 1996 from my Earth Science teacher. That was interesting. <laughs> That was one of the side benefits of community. So I guess it was the Windows 3.1 is what represents community to me. <laughs> That's a good representation of community because I don't think many people would choose that as their uh, <laughs> symbol. Uh, I want to hear what you guys think. You know, this is the, yeah. this is the part where I kick back and I just become an all of the abover again. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Yeah, Sam, if you want to go first. Yeah, so Windows 3.1, that's actually really cool because that was my first operating system that I ever really got to mess with. My uncle gave me a computer and I set it up over several days and finally got everything up and running. And yeah, so Windows 3.1 reminds me of my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one branch of community yeah. again. Yeah. In education and community, really the biggest thing that comes to me, and it's more recent than like actually growing up in education, but GitHub, which is pretty much a repository for source code, and it's turning into more things, a repository for pretty much anything. But in there, you can work with others or just by yourself, put your code out there, open it up to the world, let other people see into it, and they'll quickly look over everything and fix mistakes and tell you that you're wrong and have some sort of flaming war and say you're the worst programmer in the world. But there's community there to where people are actually looking into this and giving their thoughts on what you're trying to do. But on GitHub or just any sort of website kind of like this where you share code, you go in there and you can talk with other developers and 
whether you're sharing source code or not, you can kind of gather information from these people or go into their projects and kind of see what they're doing and pick apart whatever piece of code you need from them and put it into your project. And you can kind of take things away and add things to theirs. And it just turns into a really cool community, almost like a hive mind ish type thing mm-hmm. where everyone's yeah, def- just in there sharing. Yeah, definitely not like uh, going to the beach with your family clan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the same. It's a different sense of community in that way. Yeah, but that's when when I think of community and education, that's kind of my way because I go in there and I, I've self taught myself a lot in programming because stuff that we don't learn in formal education or new stuff that I'm just not caught up with. It's the easiest way to go in and see what other people are doing and kind of learn from them and ask them questions and comment and get responses and so source code repositories community. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very, uh, these are completely, like, these two kinds of different communities are completely different. Like, I, I, I can't create, like, a bridge between the developer world and then the homeschool offline sense of community. Because I know there are meetups outside of the online world and that they gather offline to talk about the stuff that happens online. <laughs> What, what's interesting to me, Sean, is you're right. It, it is pretty wild how different the, the uh, I want to say, analog form of community has been in the past and present. I mean, but it's not really analog. Just to, I like to think of it as the meat space, for lack of a better term. Yeah. In real life, you know, the real world, we, we have all forms of community. In the digital world, we just mirror those forms of community. Or and at least even, try to. <laughs> Yeah, they the virtualization of community has uh, some some major failures. Mm-hmm. But one nice thing about home home education, which is you know not something I've experienced firsthand. In my day, I was always using books, sitting at the table. My parents being teachers, sometimes we had desks, or you know sometimes classroom environments. But in more recent years, yeah, I know of a lot of homeschoolers that actually are getting taught online. They're using courses online. They have discussion forums. They have videos where teachers give them their lessons and what have you. So the digital space has really impacted every corner of communication and education combined. It's like I know that's not a benefit that's outside of the homeschooling community. I don't think there's many, uh, you know, brick and mortar schools that will let their students just sit down and watch videos all the time without a, cl- a teacher present. But um, in the right environments, you can do that at home. Yeah, there's a couple uh, flipped classrooms where they have students go and learn the stuff outside of the school. They watch videos and go to Khan Academy. And then when they go back into the school room, they just discuss problems and things that the students couldn't get or they need more hands-on uh, instruction. And the teacher is there not to necessarily teach them and tell them exactly what they need to know, but more helping them and guide them through their own learning path. I don't know how many schools do that, but it's a different take on using technology in a way that leveraging both sides, uh, the physical meat space to the best of their ability, and as well as the electronic space where you can go at your own pace and find any kind of resources at, at your disposal to figure out stuff. But having that person there that knows everything and as a 
a resource. Hmm. Having that in a homeschool scenario, which I, I know there's like ECOT and there's probably tons of other ones. It's a helpful way. Also, even connecting homeschoolers, which I don't know how how do homeschool kids, I, I guess back in your day, <laughs> uh, like how would that whole community come to be? Yeah, it was really one thing leading to another. I think a lot of the homeschoolers that we knew, thousands of them really, in, in, here in the South, Tennessee, the Carolinas, I uh, knew some down in Florida, Georgia. We would either network through church. Some of us became, uh, you know, what do you call it, like pen pals. Mm-hmm. So maybe there would be a homeschool conference in Atlanta, and you'd have 2,000 people show up there for uh, four or five days. There'd be, you know, lecturers, and there'd be a huge, you know, book expo. And so the kids would run around and get to know each other, swap, you know, home addresses so that we could become pen pals. And then you'd have the parents that were swapping and swap buying and selling their their homeschool curriculum. And then, you know, one thing just leads to another. You wind up with a, a group of parents in, say, one particular county or, you know, center of a few small cities mm-hmm. that says, you know what? Not all of us are really equipped well to teach all of our kids all the academics, but so-and-so is really good at science and so-and-so is really good at geography. So why don't they teach all of our kids the matters uh, you know, that are specially, they're specially good at? So you wind up creating this little bubble where within the homeschoolers' families, they have agreed that you know this parent is going to teach geography. And then everything just comes together. You know, next thing you know, you have maybe 50 participants in this special home study support group. And then somebody gets the bright idea. Well, we should do, you know, some fun things together. Let's go to the roller rink together. Let's start a basketball league together. And they would do that, start renting a gym. You know, next thing you know, you have somebody else in the community who's really good at basketball. And then people start to take you seriously. And that happened over the years. And now it's it's much more established and it's taken more seriously. You know, when I was coming along, it was all very experimental. People felt like they believed in it, but we had never seen the fruits of our labors yet. There wasn't a okay. first generation of homeschoolers that had proven that it could work yet. I was among the first generation. And look at how well I turned out. Here I am podcasting on all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. It's it's a world that you, if you're not really exposed to or ever thought about it, there's just cool and different. I guess my topic for this is like more about what makes a great online community experience and how that relates to like the offline community aspect. Um, and sort of going off, there's GitHub for developers and there's different communities for different types of people because they all serve different kinds of roles. Mr. Joe said that like sharing what you've learned with others. Uh, it's, it's great with the online capabilities. And it's about like connecting with other human beings. It seems like really depends, again, on the goals of the community. For example, there's Dribble for designers. And you have to request an invite, which you, it sort of sets a different kinds of, uh, like a membership-only bar. That compared to 4chan, where <laughs> there isn't really any bar. It's just anonymous wasteland of anything goes and how they were designed sort of affects exactly how they work so i i'm just wondering with you guys like uh, mr joe how like we are in a podcast community whether we like it or not it's happened it's here now yeah don't know how you guys think of what makes a community good or what can even make a community bad and tainted and have like a a bad smell like gamergate Mm. as just a current example i'll let you go first sam 
I, uh, I'm, I'm eager to kind of hear you, your sultry voice. Come on, <laughs> give us something. So it's great because I grew up around 4chan before Reddit. And then I was never really into Reddit until more recently for some reason. But I kind of quickly left 4chan. But one of the greatest things from 4chan was the rules of the internet, which is pretty funny. They created a list, the community there created a list of 100 rules of the internet. And majority of them aren't really suitable for work, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny to look at this and (laughs) I'm reading through a lot of it now, but to look at it and just see what this community came up with as the 100 rules of the internet. (laughs) A lot of it has to do with 4chan itself, but there's some things on there that are just pretty funny. So I like an online community and it kind of like how it has this no rules thing. And then taking that community offline is pretty cool because 4chan started to have meetups. And so these people that created these rules of the internet actually got to meet each other and kind of see who they were talking to in their digital form. So it's it's just really community is just it's it's so weird and thinking about it now there's even more to community like it's such a vast thing that covers a lot of different things out there and you can kind of group everything together in a community. Yeah, well with like a, the, the offline world, the meat space, it, you're limited by geography. You, yeah. you like how do you get to know someone? Well, you're by them and you guys talked or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know any of my old friends and family that live outside of this area of the Atlanta area because, well, apart from Facebook pictures of their babies and their pets and stuff like that, and that's no fun, I'd much rather see them face to face. And so when you lose contact with those near and dear cousins, you just, yeah, it's just, it's not the same. And when you're online, it's interesting. Do y'all have the same experience that you wind up going online, not to like nurture your old relationships, but to like find new ones, just uh, like not intentionally, but in autopilot, you're thinking, Oh, who's interesting on the internet. I know I'll look up my cousin, Andy. No, that doesn't occur to you. You're going to, you're going to look up somebody else, some other Andy. And you're like, Oh, he's cool. He's interested in this book. You know, and he's interested in this community or this uh, ring of interesting topics. I think I'll follow him on Twitter. Oh, he said something <laughs> funny. I favorite it. I'm going to give him a reply now, you know, and then you've long forgotten about your cousin, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's, it's a bit harder to do that nurturing of relationships that you already know. It's, it just takes effort and time to cultivate that stuff. And it's so much easier to just get new, uh, if I'm keeping going with the farming metaphor, to just get new seeds every season instead of tending to your old crops and making sure that like, oh, these are going to keep going up. No, I'll just buy some seed. It's like a dollar. <laughs> Facebook has just become a, like, I just post things there and just links to things that I'm doing. But it's mostly just to see the pictures of my family and stuff like that. Speaking of communities, which are very closely related to social networks, mm-hmm. um, I, I know this is partially a rabbit trail, but we're asking this question of what makes a great online community experience. I think that the yeah. assumption was that that's what we were going to get with chat rooms for a long time, that that was, that was the, the pinnacle, the assumption, right? And then there was also instant messaging. I remember AOL instant messenger being this great big deal when I was a teenager. And 
And if, and if that wasn't good enough for you, if that wasn't your flavor of community, you had email before the likes of Facebook and Twitter. So I remember some of our email threads among friends and family were, you know, like 20, 30, uh, you know, email replies back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that was the way you were staying in contact before you realized that you were part of ridiculous chain email. It was just gross. But then, you know, social networks had this attitude of this is it. This now we have arrived. Now we can settle in and get some real community action. I I don't feel like that really in a comfortable way, an effective way happened because on Facebook, it's like everybody showed up for the exact same social event. People from school, church, my family clan, my workplace, everybody showed up for the same family reunion. Nobody knows each other really. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about what everybody else is talking about. Some people want to goof off. Other people want to rant about politics. And so as you you walk around the virtual room of Facebook, you're hearing 101 little annoying conversations ensue. And maybe one or two of them stick. But then when you look at the clock, you're like, good gads, how could we have been here and accomplished nothing for so long and feel like we should return to this tomorrow? You know, why should I check Facebook first thing in the morning, given how much time we wasted here tonight? (laughs) Nobody cared about what we said. We didn't accomplish anything. It wasn't community. It was it was driving us bonkers. I I feel like it's really failed us. Like some version, some sickly, gross, you know, malformed version of community is what we experience on some social networks. And y'all have any thoughts about that? Like, I, I don't think that a, the community we have with a lot of the social networks is where we'll see it in 20 years, because eventually the, the present day solutions are going to go the way of MySpace and AOL Messenger. What do y'all What do y'all think? Well, I if you just to take the, the stream from the firehose of Facebook, where you just have, have the news feed, that is what people are just putting out there, and then there are discussions and comments and likes based upon that. Once you like niche down, so oh, I'm interested in designing. I can look up design groups within Facebook that use that as their platform to have a forum-like structure, which is then now becoming more of a beneficial thing rather than just gossip, uh, sharing of clickbait stuff and videos. And that's more of a, a community sense, but you'd have to dive deeper rather than just rely on your accumulated social network of friends and family-ish or whatever it happens to be, which sort of harkens back to the the beginnings of the internet. Usenet groups and CompuServe and Prodigy were was just like email chains-ish discussion forums and everything was just based on interests, which is the same thing with like AOL chat rooms, which then just turned into bots spamming ASL and (laughs) things like that. So I, I guess it just depends on how deep you go within a network uh, to figure out what kind of uh, communities emerge from that larger mass or that larger population, which sounds like a Gervin Newman algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you guys have to explain this to me and all the other abo- all the abovers. I don't think anybody knows what the Gervin Newman algorithm is. What? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about community structure, but more from an analytical, like data, computer science area. 
So the Gervin-Newman algorithm is, uh, it's really just a method used to detect a community or communities within complex systems. Complex systems can be, data structures can be a ton of different things. Or let's say we're just looking at, what's something really good, like Where's Waldo? Say we're looking at Where's Waldo. And we look at this from the top down. We can create communities of people within this complex system of hidden people and dogs and Waldo and bones and whatever else is in there. But this is kind of the way that we do that. It's kind of weird how it works. The steps of that algorithm is pretty much all that I'm going to talk about. And then we're kind of going to open it up. Not really about the algorithm, but kind of how it works for how do we find these communities. That's good. Cause I, I, I have so such strong opinions about this algorithm. <laughs> so the way the algorithm works is the betweenness of everything in the network is the first thing calculated. So really like how close is everything or how far is it between each and everything? And then when you do that, the object that has the highest betweenness, so that, that one's gone. It's just removed. And then the betweenness that everything affects or everything is affected there. So we remove one and everything that's affected by us removing that one, that creates a community. And we keep doing that until there are no more pieces in this puzzle. And there's only communities left. And there's only communities left. So we remove the center that creates the community. And then there's a community around that. And then that's everything in that community. It's like a Venn diagram. Communities can overlap and everything. So we're finding communities in these complex systems. So if we're looking at where's Waldo, if we find Waldo and we remove him, everything that was close to Waldo, that's like his little Waldo community. But then we can find the little bone and pull out the bone. And then everything around there is the bone community. The bone community can be right next to the Waldo or overlapping with the Waldo community. So it's just similar interests or things that are like kind of there together. So this is a very mathematical way to find a community. How mm-hmm. in the real world or even in the digital world, how do you guys find communities? Hmm. Hmm. Can I answer first? Yes, you can go ahead. I, I, I actually <laughs> believe that communities are very abstract concepts and it's really difficult to pinpoint in a metric sort of way something to be evidence of a community. One example might be of a community would be all the citizens that live in a particular city. And so you could have, you know, that statistical information in a database somewhere in your local government's office. They could look you up and say, you're one of, you know, 79,000 people that live here in this particular, you know, town. But does that mean that that's actually a community? That community means your neighbors, you, you, you know, locally sh- shop at the same stores, but do you know those people? Do you have human interaction where you know them by name? Does, is, is it necessary to have human relationship just because you live in the same vicinity? And so in a way, there are no rules. There's, there is no rule that says, well, you must have human interaction with your community even though we're side by side, I don't know some of my neighbors by name and we just trust that they're not going to try and break into our home and they're not, no, we're not going to try and break into theirs. And that's like a given unspoken rule of our quote community. And if we cross the line, 
of that unspoken rule, people would lash out and have problems with us. Then, you know, maybe it would be escalated to some civil authority saying, you, you violated the rules of this particular blah, 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 which actually represents the values of what? Community. Well, who wrote down the authoritative rules of community? Well, no one, you know, not authoritatively so. And then you get on the internet and the, you don't have to abide by the same rules, completely different kind of rules. Um, you know, and, and there's no, there's no cop yet on the internet to hunt you down and stop you for violating the rules of the community. So I think that real life, that, that, and that's just a microcosm example of where <laughs> community is just not very systematic, not really. Just when you think you figured it out, it's, it's changed because there are infinite variables. So in reality, you can have um, flavors of community. You can have a loose idea of uh, it's, but it's, it's, it's all loosey goosey. You can't really identify it. Even though we all have a, a, this vague notion of the ideal. Wh what do you think, Sean? Let's say I am a designer. I guess I am a part of the design community. So even if I don't really know that someone is a designer, uh, we might still have the same kind of uh, likes, dislikes, or at least opinions about design, whether it be software or principles or style. Getting into the, that idea of what a community is, or if there's a, a like programming languages, there are um, like Lisp, like uh, the people that love Lisp are Lisp. Yeah. Um, that or like COBOL. There are some weird communities. The skeuomorphism crowd. Got to look out for those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so based on more of like interests and likes and dislikes, uh, that idea of a community is a little bit easier to digest rather than a, like how you were saying like, oh, we might be in the same town, but that doesn't mean, or we might even be neighbors, but that doesn't mean we are, we feel like we're a part of the community. I guess that, that in, internal sense of belonging is where the the self-definition of what a community means to you or me lies so hmm. yeah i i think i know what you mean because there is that other side of the coin where you know in my mind i've already kind of sorted through all the the ideals of what i would like community community to be it's kind of built around my my personal values and mm -hmm. my interests so when i go online to twitter i seek out the people that align with those mm -hmm. I, I find you know other designers other tech uh you know interested geeks i find people interested in movies that are not too critical of movies and they're not so loose with movies that all they want to say is awesome 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 you know <laughs> You know, I really like to talk about movies intelligently. So you, you find somebody who just wants to say, you know, this rocks. That's not somebody I really want to follow. I don't want them to be a part of my community. Mm -hmm. We'll hop over that, that, that guy to someone else who can say something that I can relate to. And then <laughs> when, when it's all said and done, maybe you wind up with a thousand people you're following. And to you, there's that virtual community. These are the people who are like-minded. And I can talk with them freely and they will not shout at me except in jest <laughs> and we'll have loads of fun. And then they'll get to know me. I'll get to know them until the internet crashes and then there's no more virtual fun. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, it's a really fun ride and it does sure look like, it sure looks like community. It's, it's the kind of experience you might have had if 
today, you could just all show up at the same public library and pick up a book, share it with your friends to say, hey, this is a really good book. You want to read this one about design. It's really interesting. You've got some good <laughs> ideas about Ansel Adams in here, you know, or whatever it is. And then, you know, you pick that thing up and you, you read it real quick on Instapaper. Uh, I don't know why, why that would be in the public library, but uh, <laughs> of course it would be in this mashed up digital meet space world. Yeah. Well, I, hopefully libraries become what they're trying to and becoming more of a, just a hub for knowledge, whether that be physical or digital and sort of giving that opportunity for people that either don't have computers or they do. It's just a nice space to have ideas stir up uh, such as uh, like the olden days of enlightenment and those uh, salons and stuff like that. Mm. The yeah. days of yore. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe libraries can turn into incubators, like tech incubators, not like egg incubators. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like farms, chickens? What? <laughs> that, that, those are very different kinds of communities, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like the startup community that, that has a definite different feel compared to lawyers uh, like it's just a <laughs> association of oh yeah 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 even even some of these communities attract certain personality types mm-hmm. not universally the same but people who tend to be interested in the same things be extroverted about the same amount you know as thoughtful as the next guy you know there's just just those tendencies you begin to share the same values and use the same terminology that influences your your vocabulary so all the politicians use the same silly catchphrases <laughs> and annoying isms that, you know, you think, why did he say it that way on, on the television interview? And it's like, well, it's because that's the way all the politicians talk, you know, and that's how they get along with each other. That's how they communicate with their community. And they, you only have so much, uh, you know, cognitive ability to rack up a vocabulary. And so when you hear the same, you know, catchphrases and slang and, you know, uh, illustrations and just, you know, terminology day in and day out, you'll use the same things as all the other people in office when that's, that's your community. You're a politician. You're going to talk like a politician. Yeah. And it would be interesting sort of meshing with uh, the Gervin-Newman algorithm. <laughs> Combine that and taking all those, like the personality traits, location, uh, background, history, as much identifiable information that you could. And then trying to come up with like suggested community for you to get involved in. That's, I guess, how LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook recommend people to you. Like, oh, we looked at all these other people. They're in these sort of circles. They talk with these kind of people. Based on that, we're suggesting to follow these people. Or you might be friends with this. You might know this person somehow, some way. There's a thing called like Dunbar's number, which is like, oh, you can only really know 150 people for the most part. Yeah. And then everything af- outside that is like, you can sort of know them. And that's where the app path try to take advantage of that. But I, I, I didn't really hit their stride because I, I think it constrained 150 people, but it might be, it's, that's only like one subset of a community and you can't get all of your desires and needs met 
from those 150 people. Along those lines, I'm thinking about what they call the YouTube community, and I don't know what the heck that is because there's millions of viewers, millions of views, mm-hmm. and somebody who's a YouTube star, you know, has a community of people who listen to him, and they will swap, you know, comments on various videos. They'll show up at live events. They'll have special uh, theatrical, you know, events where they they look at some YouTube videos. They have special signings from the YouTubers. And it's a great blast. It's a a really interesting social experience. Mm -hmm. But again, the community abides by its own set of concepts. And in the case of YouTube, I would imagine even though there's thousands of you that are interacting with each other around a central video, you don't really know those people very often. You, Uh you interacted with a complete stranger and that gave you license to be, you know, a jerk to them, you know, and and that just lends itself to the nasty comments and lots of that. In fact, I've seen in just the reverse, like, um, there's, there are the YouTubers that are somewhat wary of their very own audience. You know, a lot of the YouTubers are introverted. They, they want to talk about important or interesting things and they're trying to make a really decent living and they would love to give back to the world. But if they ran into a member of their community in the grocery store or the subway station by accident and that person said, Hey, you, I know you, you're that guy on that such and such video. <laughs> You put them on the spot. And and even if you say, hey, I'm your biggest fan. I love you guys. You know, can I get a picture with you? You know, the YouTubers often are like, uh, don't know about that. <laughs> and again, it's just like, well, then what is community? I thought you wanted the attention, but you don't, you know, it's, it's all very complicated. Well, it doesn't help that the, the barriers to entry for a community such as YouTube is almost zero. Well, I know some com- other communities such uh, like they have paid memberships where it, you can only get in if you pay a certain amount per month. And that gets rid of a lot of the riffraff. And the only people that want to be there are the ones that are willing to a pay for it and then be such as the upper echelon, the upper echelon. Yes. We have a paid membership uh, community. Um, it all goes uh, signed to Sean Duran and just mail it out to me. Um, I have a cash tag. Uh, a cash tag. A cash tag. <laughs> yeah, it's the money sign. Yeah, no, I forgot about the cash tag. SPJPGRD. If you want to send me money, I will gladly accept it. I don't know why you would want to, but um, that'd be cool. Um, Members of the community, Sean, believe in them. Have faith in uh, oh, them. Oh, yeah, sorry. I should put on my uh, deep they're, voice. They're very, they're very loyal, Sean. Uh, thank you. They're Seaners. Sean Seaners. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I'm a. Uh, yeah, send me money. I'll send you details of uh, when we're going to meet up and uh, conquer the world one Sean at a time. <laughs> but I think this is, uh, this is a good wrapping up spot. I feel like a. Is it? <laughs> so in conclusion, Sam. So yeah, Sam, what is uh, your final thought? It kind of it kind of revolves around everything we're talking about. So final thought for the evening is go get educated. Well said, well said. And uh, <laughs> and for those uh, that missed it in the beginning, Mr. Joe, where can we 
find you? I am on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And if you want to check out my other show that you might be interested in, I think other uh, all the aboveers would love my other tech show. Yeah. It's techtonic.fm is the website you can find it. That's T-E-C-H tonic.fm. Yes. And you also have a blog that corresponds with the episodes that you put out. I try. Yeah. We talk about similar things there. If you're more interested in reading than listening, you've got it. That was episode 29 of All of the Above. And this is Siri, coming in to help out Brian for the outro. Thank you, Joe, for joining us today and filling in for me last minute. To go more in-depth with everything we talked about, head over to a Lab audio episode slash 20 for valuable show notes and links. If you enjoyed this episode, you can go to a Lab audio review to leave us a rating on iTunes. It'd be even better if you told a friend about this. It'd be a bonding moment. We're also on Twitter, at AboveItPodcast, posting extra tidbits from the show every other day. For the next three episodes, we're doing solo shows again. So until next time, gargle with your mouth closed.